Yeah, 40% are retiring over the next five or 10 years. And the question is, well, who's going to fix XYZ, right? You know, my plumber, my electrician, the welder, you know, who is going to keep our infrastructure running when we have a C minus infrastructure and we want an A minus or A plus infrastructure? And they, you know, we want to spend all this money on infrastructure, but who's going to take the job and who's going to do that? I'm, I'm going to butcher the stat again. I've done butchered every episode, I think, but it's something like 91% of general contractors can't find enough project managers and project engineers even on the management side. So it's it's an industry issue. You got the trades issue, right? You don't have them, but I mean, it's, we're having the same issue on kind of sort of the quote management side with project managers and stuff. Matt, I think your statistic is growing every time we have a podcast. So when we get when we get over 100%, that's when you know you've probably gone a little too far. 110% of companies can't find enough people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves. My co-host each week's Kyle Grandel. What's going on, Kyle? Hey, doing good, Matt. How are you? I am hot. It's hot in Texas. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, it's, it's not too bad. I'm in, I'm in Springville, Utah. It's um, At least yesterday was pretty nice when I when I got in, but uh, I think today's going to be a little, little warmer, maybe high 80s up to 90 or so. So, you know, really hot. I know you were texting me pictures of the mountains in the background. I was like, I'm very envious. It's uh, it's hot, flat, and humid here, so it's not fun. Oh man, this is this is a gem. This is a gem of a spot here. Working at a at a plant that's uh, yeah, it's right in the mountains. I mean, it's it's like it's picture picturesque. I mean, right behind it is this big freaking mountain outside of Salt Lake City. I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, this week's guest is Andrew Brown, and Andrew's been a huge proponent of the, the skilled labor gap and what we can all do to help fix the problem. So we wanted to bring Andrew on and kind of give some tips sort of for the next generation kind of coming in of what we can all do to kind of help the industry problem. It's been a problem for as long as I can remember. So welcome, Andrew. Matt, Kyle, good to be here. Thanks for having me on this Friday. Yeah, man. You want to give us a little bit of background of yourself for those that don't know you? Yeah, to, to give some context uh, to, to your audience who may not have seen my content, um, I'll take you back to when I was 23 years old, and this is how I got my start. When I was 23 years old, living in New York City at the time, it was September 11, 2001, and the planes had just hit the buildings. And like everyone else, we were in shock. And I got this crazy idea that I'm going to go down there and help. And I convinced a friend in Rhode Island at the time that you got to come in and we're going to go down. He's like, no, no, no. You got to come in. So after a few days after the after 9-11, he shows up at my doorstep and he's in this big blue truck with an American flag on the back and he's dressed up as a tradesperson. He's got a hard hat on, he's got overall uh, overalls on, he's got an extra set of overalls and a hard hat for me. And all of a sudden I find myself with him racing down the West Side Highway from checkpoint to checkpoint. We're stopping at lights, people are throwing in toothbrushes and, and water and food thinking we're tradespeople at the trade center. And we make it down from checkpoint to checkpoint, and then we park the car. And all of a sudden, now I'm standing on the World Trade Center where it once stood. This is only a few days after it happened. And the entire day, I was helping first responders, EMS, police, and tradespeople find survivors on Ground Zero. And I was watching the tradespeople on the site. They were doing any means necessary, running into unstable structures with glass falling. Some of them didn't have the right protection on. And I was just in awe. I was an IT guy. I was not a tool guy. And you talk about life-changing events, not only personally, but professionally. 
after that event, I literally put my two weeks notice in for an IT job, a good IT job that I had in New York City at the time. And I spent months and months, sleepless nights, thinking about how do I get back to the tradespeople that I saw on ground zero. And that's when I co-founded an online tool and equipment business named Toolfetch with my brother. Uh, a little over 20 years ago, we're still going strong today. We sell tools to the skilled trades. So professionals such as welders and plumbers and other blue collar skilled trades. So these are the men and women who are building, repairing our bridges and our tunnels and our roads. And we offer one of the largest catalogs online with over a million different products from 650 different vendors. So products like lifts, cement mixers, drain cleaners. That's my way to get back to the skilled trades and what I saw 20, almost 23 years ago during 9-11. And I've been doing this on a consistent basis and supporting them throughout my career. That's how I got to start. Man, we always ask everybody that comes on, like, how'd you get started in the industry? And that's by far the wildest story I've ever heard. Divine <laughs> yeah. intervention or something. I don't I don't know. Something that's that an, that's an amazing that. story. That's wow. crazy. How long were you down on basically ground zero during that? Most of the day. Most of the day. You know, I have this, uh, I have one image, a couple, one or two images that I have, and it's just, it brings back the, this picture that I have that my friend took. And I was just, I, when I see that, I just go back to that day and I'm like, this is, this is what I was meant to do. I was meant to support the skilled trades. I was meant to provide the products and services to them. And I'm just happy with what I'm doing and making an impact. That's crazy, man. The wild story. Yeah. I knew a guy who actually was working across the street from the Pentagon on that day. And they had, you know, big uh, Skytrack scissor lifts on site, you know, the big off-road ones. And they basically, the plane flew over their head and into the Pentagon. And they said they like, like dropped everything and did, like ran over there. Of course, they couldn't get to the Pentagon because there was a bunch of cars parked like on the side of the road. And they were literally picking up cars with the forklift moving to the side. So like the, you know, the fire trucks and stuff up to the building. Like that is, I was like, what? That was like the wildest story. He was just like picking cars up, moving them away so they could get through. So what a wild yeah, time. You hear all these stories that uh, people miss trains and they weren't supposed to be at work. And yeah, I just, uh, I never thought I'd be in that situation, but it was. And, you know, it just made me a better person coming out of it. Yeah. Well, good job on that. It's definitely impacted your whole life, though, your whole life trajectory. So do you want to tell us, uh, you know, it's not a secret, really, but everybody you talk to, every news article you see, it's been going on. I mean, I graduated college 13 years ago. It was a problem then. It's a problem 13 years to, later today. It's it's only you know projected to get worse by 2030, but this whole trades gap and the skill later gap and as the baby boomers retire, and just kind of want to give us a little context of what's going on. Yeah, 40% are retiring over the next five or 10 years. And the question is, well, who's going to fix XYZ, right? You know, my plumber, my electrician, the welder, you know, who is going to keep our infrastructure running when we have a C minus infrastructure and we want an A minus or A plus infrastructure? And they, you know, we want to spend all this money on infrastructure, but who's going to take the job and who's going to do that? So you have this like mess. It's, it's, it's almost like, all these people, the baby boomers, who have all this knowledge that they have 25, 30 years plus experience in a trade, and they're leaving. And there's just not enough people coming into the trades 
to replenish. And people keep saying, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. Maybe something automation wise or AI or, you know, robotic. It's, 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 it, it, it can't happen. It's, it's not going to happen anytime soon. You need the hands-on work by these individuals. And we just need to do a better job on the messaging side to let kids know the opportunities. Because the old adage out there is that, you know, the, the trades are just option B for a bad kid. You didn't do well in school. Well, you can go in the trades and be a plumber. That's BS. You know, there, there's there's tremendous opportunities, and it's not just be a plumber or be a carpenter. You can own your own business one day. You can scale up the ladder of of success and be maybe CEO of a construction company one day. It depends what you want out of it. What you put in is what you get out. But we need to curb uh, this really this mass exodus of people that are just leaving the trades and get the younger generation involved. This is exactly why you see me on LinkedIn and like constantly banging the drum of, of, you know, about the issue. People know about it, but they don't realize when you call up your plumber in the next couple of years and, and he says, sorry, I can't be there for four weeks. Well, <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going to pay more and wait longer. And I want to try to curb that and narrow that gap. That was definitely so, something... I'm oh, sorry, Kyle. That was something like I grew up in West Texas, out in Midland, went to high school in Midland in West Texas. And, you know, that's the oil patch out there. And that was definitely the feeling, too, of like when I was in high school graduating was, you know, it's either get your grades up and go to college or, you know, go to the military or go out work on the oil field. Those were kind of the options and kind of like the I don't want to say like the loser kids went to the oil field. Right. And that was just like that was the perception and those quote loser kids have probably made three times as much money as I have over my career just because of, you know, how, how it all works, but it's just interesting. Yeah. And so Andrew, that, that 40% you're talking about, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of different reasons behind it and a lot of different, different research and seen a lot of numbers and statistics. What are you finding for the driving force and, you know, the reason behind that 40%? Well, it's just, you're getting to retirement age. So if you really look at the retirement age, most skilled trades somewhere in the mid 40s to 50s right so there is that that five or ten year period where you're getting to that retirement age your perfect example uh kyle is that i have somebody who is this individual in our in our neighborhood that fixes dryers right that's just the guy he's the guy he comes in he he listens i know what that is like he's just the guy right so he's 65 66 and he comes in and he fixes uh, my dryer. And I got to talking to him and I said to him, you know, what do you think about the skilled trades gap and getting people, you know, into uh, your field or another trade related uh, field? And he said, I don't really understand it with kids today. He said, I have no debt. I make good money. I don't work that many hours and nobody wants the job. And it, what happens is he retires and boom, who's going to fix it? Who's going to take over that job? Now you keep compounding that, compounding that by all these different trades. And you got a real big problem, a real big problem, because I don't know who you replace it with unless you get the younger generation involved. And we just need to do a better job of displaying what the opportunities are in the skilled trades, because I think people have this depiction of like what it is. It's a guy on a job site you know, with a wheelbarrow and he's all dusty and that's what it is. And that's, there's no money in that. And I can go into something else. I can work at a, you know, fast food restaurant for the same money. You know, there's all these, these, uh, 
uh, thoughts that people have about the trades. And I just think we just need to display what people can do in the trades. It's not just you're building a school, you're building a school for education. You're building a bridge to people can get over and get to work or a building to create jobs. There's a lot more of that feeling of accomplishment in the trades that kids don't see. That's why I feel when construction companies are on uh, job, at job fairs, they should be showcasing the success stories. They should be bringing them down to the construction site and showing them what they're building is creating something. I think there's a missing piece there that we need to need to resolve because I feel that you can gain a lot more traction with uh, just a, a different angle of how you sort of market the the trades to the younger generation. Yeah. So so if I'm hearing you correctly, and it, it also goes along with other research that I've seen as well, is that not only do we have a retiring workforce, but we also have maybe less people that are coming in. So really, like you said, it, it's a compounded problem. We're not getting the interest from the younger generations that was once there. So not only is the workforce that is there going away, but we're also getting less in. So that's a compounding problem, which of course that leads to to a lot of issues, like you're saying. And and you know, just like you said, that was a great example of, well, who's going to be the next guy that's going to be fixing this stuff in our neighborhood? Because that that's the reality of our situation is who are the next electricians and the next plumbers and the next pipe fitters that are going to be building our structures, building our buildings, taking care of the infrastructure to make things better. It's such a huge issue and it's not getting enough attention. I mean, people are talking about it a lot, but are they actually making changes? Is there actually real change in the industry yet? I'm not seeing it from what I think is where it needs to be. There's a lot of people talking about we need to change it, we need to fix it, but very few people are actually making a difference, I feel like. You know, you compound this with all the different uh, aspects of what, where are kids getting their information, right? So before they're even thinking about college, where are they getting information from? They're getting information from their parents, what's being spoken about in the household. Guidance counselors, when they go to sit down with a guidance counselor, what, what path are they saying? They're just saying, go to college, get a four-year degree, sign this loan and take on massive debt. You know, they're not giving kids the opportunity to maybe think through that. Well, how do I pay that off after I get out of school? So, and also teachers as well. Is that even being discussed? Shop classes. Where are, the, where are the shop classes in school? I didn't take a shop class in school, so I wasn't even exposed as a kid, right? My parents said, go to college. And I went to college, four-year degree, and I came out more confused than I was when I was in school, right? I was in, I was a C++, pro, C++ programmer with a minor in accounting and then I took advanced calculus. I'm like, what am I doing in here? And then I went into business and then I went into IT and then I had this, you know, thing with uh, on 9-11. I went, obviously went on a different route into the tool business. But like you talk about people shifting around into different careers and people come out spending all this money and then they go into a completely different uh, path and they have all this debt behind them. It's just this constant like circle of you know, debt that people that keep following people. So it, it, I hear it all the time. I hear these stories. Have you seen any good resources for, I mean, cause they, I don't feel like, you know, when you graduate high school, you don't know any sort of quote life skills. I mean, you don't understand how taxes work. You don't understand how, you know, I mean, you take loans, right? I, I took student loans when I graduated high school because I needed to go to college. I had to go to college to be successful. And so I took a basically maximum student loans. I graduated with 
you know, eighty thousand dollars in debt or something, whatever it was, right? And then you you get a job, and back in the day, you get a job at like forty thousand dollars. You're like, I don't know how I'm ever gonna do this, like, much less feed myself, plus less pay student loans. And then, um, but have you seen any good resources out there that are? I mean, they're not doing any in school, but we've seen kind of these sort of third party resources for kind of those high school kids coming out, or hell, even college kids coming out to really teach them the life basics, life skills. I mean financial literacy you know well i think it's a combination of both look i mean your your parents are a factor there that yeah. that's one aspect and then who are you who is your circle of people i always believe having some sort of mentor or coach through your career and when you're younger obviously versus when you you, know, you start moving up sort of that ladder and maybe you know you uh, you get to a point with that particular coach can't help you more than you move on to another coach. I, the one thing I didn't do as a, as a younger kid is that I didn't have a coach or mentor. And now I do, I have a couple of them and it's helped me tremendously. I think getting around somebody who's already been there and done that, someone who's successful, it changes your mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Where you might be thinking one thing and they are saying something else. And I always say there's, there's a lot you know and there's a lot you don't know and the stuff that don't know you don't know hurts you so i think just getting around the right individual and finding that person especially in the trades if somebody is able to reach out someone who's a plumber or, or welder has 30 years of experience you know get around them be a sponge absorb as much information as possible from them because even you can listen to them and they can say well i did start out doing this and it took me yeah this amount of time and then i got to this uh you know portion of my career that I started my own business, that can shave off a lot of years for an individual or a kid mm -hmm. who's just testing and trying and, you know, making mistakes. That individual maybe already made mistakes and is telling you all the paths not to take versus what to take. And that might get you a lot further in a shorter period of time. Well, and going back to what you were saying about you know, people you surround yourself with. I've, I've heard and read it hundreds of times about you pretty much are, you, you become your circle of influence that, that's around you. And, you know, through through mentorship, through coaching, through your friends, your family, I mean, who you choose to spend your time with, not only from a character perspective, but, you know, their ideals, philosophies, um, maybe business ideologies, those kinds of things rub off, rub off on you. And I mean, it's just, it's just simple and it makes sense that it's the stuff you hear. And so it gets reinforced over and over again. But also, too, of course, is the business networking side of things. You meet more people, you develop that circle of influence, you develop more business relationships and that networking can lead to new opportunities, too. Yeah, getting around the right people and the right mindset is is definitely something that, you know, you need to keep an eye out for and you need to want it, right? Not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants to get to a certain level. Some people are entrepreneurial and they, they learn a trade and they just they want to learn the business and they want to run a company or they want to go off on their own. I give a lot of credit to that individual. It's not easy being an entrepreneur. I don't feel it's for everybody. Um, but if you get it right, you know, sky's the limit. And I always laugh and I always say, people will say, well, who's got the big house on the corner? The guy's in a plumbing business. You know, it's just like, and people are like, what? I don't understand. Trades? You know, it's, I always laugh when, when, when somebody says that. 
That's funny. So this podcast is really sort of to kind of uh, give back to the kind of the next generation of construction managers in particular. And that's something um, I've, it's been a while since I've saw the stat, but I saw it last year, AGC or one of the, I'm, I'm going to butcher the stat again. I've done butchered it every episode, I think, but it's something like 91% of general contractors can't find enough project managers and project engineers, even on the management side. So it's, it's an industry issue. You got the trades issue, right? You don't have them, but I mean, it's, we're having the same issue on kind of sort of the quote management side with project managers and stuff. There's so many opportunities right now in the construction industry that there's not enough people to fill the seats. Not enough people wanting to come in and even then, you know, all these project managers are retiring and going with it is all this knowledge. Um, I don't know. It's such an interesting point in the industry where we're going to have a mass exodus of people and or knowledge and so it's um that's kind of what we're trying to do too is kind of help that next generation here of with that you know retiring force of trying to give them some more information yeah companies need to get creative to get people in the door right the old way of doing things doesn't work today you need to change with the times is there one thing that's going to work no you need to try different things you need to be out there as a company you need to be at trade shows you need to bring people down to the the, the job site, you need to be on social media, right? You need pounding the payment. Um, you know, wages can only go so far, right? It's not all wages. What's, what does the company stand for? What are their core values? Maybe someone is more interested about being recognized within an organization versus just making money and being treated like, you know what? You know, there's a lot of that that goes on. You're not necessarily happier somewhere else because you're making more money if you're just coming to work and being miserable. So that all is factored in as well about who you are as a company, where you're going, um, because it's just a different, the generation that's coming in is looking for other things versus older generations. So you just need to keep up with the trends and keep changing and testing and trying new things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. And, 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 you know, one of the things that I, I keep seeing and I, I, I keep saying, I think, too, is that, you know, this shortage, honestly, it's creating more opportunity, too, because anybody that does come in now, sky's the limit. They can do they have so much more open doors that are open because there's such a there's more uh, needs that need to be filled. And so that's kind of the first point. And the second point, Matt, is that I think your statistic is growing every time we have a podcast. So when we get when we get over 100 percent, that's when, you know, you've probably gone a little too far. 110 percent of companies can't find enough people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's a the problem's compounding. You were talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Andrew, what are some of the kind of more creative things you've seen companies do to kind of help support and recruit the trades? You know, obviously people are getting on social media and talking about it and those sort of things, but I feel like most of the time when I see people get on social media, they're just bitching about the problem. They're not really doing anything to solve the problem. Yeah, some companies try to get perks, you know, come with us and you can get a free this or free that. I mean, that can only go so far. Wages right. can, can only go so far. Um, I think it's just working with either, um, trades organizations and working with them directly, you know, and the people who are are coming out of school, you know, to make sure that, you know, you can sort of grab those individuals who are interested in a company that is looking to, you know, do well and, and it stands by their employees and they recognize their employees and they, they have fair wages, but there is some sort of roadmap to success. What is the training aspect? 
you know, the, the, when you get on the job site or when you on board, it, it's one thing to get the person in the door and you might be creative and get that person in the door. If you onboard that person incorrectly, then the person starts saying, well, wait, what they told me in the interview and everything they gave me versus the onboarding is two different things. I'm out of here. So the onboarding process too is extremely important. And then the training aspect of having somebody who, you know, who's been there for quite a while and maybe 20, 30 years can help that younger individual because everybody was new at some point. Everybody walked on that, that job site and was brand new. And you need to be open and realize that, that you need, you were there once before and you should want to help that, that individual. So people need to be open and have some sort of mentorship, um, I don't want to say it's a policy, but they, they should be wanting to help that that brand new individual and in bringing them in because all these pieces of part play together. It's not just getting the person in the door. It's the experience about how you are within the company. Are you treating these individuals right? Do they have a voice within the company? Because if they don't, they're not going to stay. They're going to go somewhere else that has just a better culture. It, it's about culture. There, there's, there's more to it than just wages. So it's a combination of things. Yeah, I mean, you're in sales generally, right? Because you got tool fetch. That's you know, but so you know, what's your biggest sales? It's word of mouth and referrals. That's your biggest driver. And so that's a problem I think we do have with the industry is our word of mouth is garbage, our referrals is garbage. Because all you see people do is bitching about, you know, it's long hours, it's hot, it's hard work, and that's not really recruiting the 18 year old guys. And so um, there is a lot of truth in that sort of stuff, but I guess we're not even our own best marketers for the industry at some at times. Well, I, and I think it's a big generational change, you know, to, kind of to that statement where, um, you know, our generations now are more, younger generations are more geared towards wanting that work-life balance, more geared towards wanting to have their nights and weekends free and be able to live a nice, nice life outside of work. Whereas, you know, the older generations, and even myself, I find find this way too. It's like, well, how how hard can I work, and and, and how much grit can I put out, and, and how hard can I sweat today? I, that you don't find that very much anymore. And and I feel that that's you know that's that's a big change that our industry hasn't adapted to. And you've got a really good point there, Matt. It, it, it's kind of like, are you glorifying how hard the work is? Because that used to appeal to people. It will not so much anymore. Things things have changed, in my opinion. Yeah, it's all about changing with the times of what today is versus, you know, a handful of years ago. Because if you don't change with the times, you're not going to find the right people. Um, if you just rest on your loyals of just, well, what this used to work, but doesn't work today. Well, you, it's a different generation. They expect other things than what you were used to years prior to that. That's a I mean, that's an overall issue with the industry, right? And I think it's, I know Kyle, you all have accepted, or not accepted, you all have kind of been a proponent of like innovative technologies and those sort of stuff. And I mean, you're implementing things like Lean and Scrum and the also, you know, methods and procedures of how you all do business. And I try to do the same, whether it's an actual software technology or tool, or if it's just a practice, but the industry is behind in that sort of stuff generally, right? I mean, it's not a secret. And there are people, and I think the people who are implementing the new ideas and, and embracing core to the new for the next generation are definitely going to um, reap the benefits in the long term. But it's um, the industry slow in accepting stuff like that overall. So there is a lot of opportunity for those that are doing it. Um, we just got to keep it up. 
Yeah. I mean, look, you also have individuals uh, who say, you know, I'm talking about the, the generational thing with your parents, is that some people in the trade say, I'm working with my hands so you don't have to. So you can go to college, you can have a better life. There is some of that too that's being sort of displayed. And that individual who maybe would have gone into the trades because they saw their, their father go, you know, working in the fields for 30 years, they might say, nah, that's not for me because my father said I should go to college. There's just a lot of that as well that happens. When I was in or high school, I worked for my dad during the summer on the same thing, right? And I literally was digging ditches with a shovel in the hot Lubbock sun um, all summer long. And it was basically, his, the theory was like, you can either go to college to get a degree or you can do this your whole life. And I was like, I'm not going to do this my whole life. I'm going to college, right? But it's like, there wasn't any thought behind, oh, there's other things you can do sort of in the trades. It's not digging a ditch with a shovel, right? Like that was all I was showed. It was like, no, I'm not doing this. So um, there's a lot of that, I guess. Well, yeah, and, and, and do you guys think that, that we're also seeing, so back to this compounding problem of the shortage, that we're also seeing the younger generations are not having as many kids too. I mean, cause to me, it, it, it's like, there's so many things that are compounding this issue just getting worse and worse and worse. I think that's probably maybe part of the problem is the, I mean, the population isn't booming, right? I, I don't, I haven't seen a population graph, but I mean, it's still growing, um, but it's not growing at the same rate. But at the same time, I can go be a YouTube star, right? And make a million dollars. Like that's what's glorified today. I mean, go subscribe yeah. to the YouTube channel so we can make a million dollars. But we're a long way from that. But anyway, there's a lot of that. People want to be creators. There's just so many opportunities to do stuff. Be freelancers in this thing, freelancers in that thing, digital media, digital marketing. Like the the and it's so easy to start like a freelancing business or do these other sort of things that um you know don't require you to work outside with your hands. I think there's a lot of draw for that. Yeah, I mean, look, kids, kids today, some some want the easy route. You know, I'm just gonna start a YouTube channel and live off the advertising. Or, you know, I'm going to be a, a TikTok star and that's it. What do I need to work my hand? Because I, I see the comments out there, depending on what platform you're on. And it's it's just, it's it's really funny, just not funny, but it's just ironic to see that people are just automatically saying, you don't make any money in the trades. It's just, that's what you just keep hearing. And I think it's just displaying this. We don't display enough success stories out there. You know, I try on my own podcast to have people who are successful in the trades and have gone through just, you know, years of, uh, you know, working hard and getting to where they need. Nothing came easy. Nothing came easy. If you want to you want to succeed, you got to work your butt off. Right. You got to make the commitment, show up and work your butt off. I always say those three things and I say it to my kids and they laugh every time I, I say that. But. You know, take it. No one's going to give it to you. And that's what you need to do. And that's just whether you're in the trades or another industry, you need to work hard to get where you want to be. There's no there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. So you got to put the time and effort into whatever you do. So if, if you're going to put the time in, you're going to only get in with put in what you get out. Yeah, that's, that's a great message, Andrew. And, and I think people really miss that. There's this glorified image of you know, these, these influencers and stuff that, holy cow, they, they're, they got hundreds of millions of people that view them like, wow, it must have been so easy. No, they're all working their butts off to get to that point. I guarantee it. it what you, it's what you don't see behind the scenes. And anybody that thinks it was easy is sadly mistaken. 
Yeah. Yeah. Got to work. You got to work. You got to work hard. So, again, this is kind of for the next generation of construction managers. What are the, that group of people, those guys and gals coming into the industry, what are the things they can do personally to kind of help the skill trade gap and help with kind of the issue overall? What can they do to get people in? Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on them kind of just helping support the, the trade side of things? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes, and again, it goes down to, you know, what what are they saying to the younger generation? Are they other at job fairs? And are what are, what are they saying to individuals? Because I always feel that when kids are walking in the job fair and they, and they go and they see uh, a bank or they, they see, uh, you know, I don't know, some other large organization, then they work, they go by the construction, they're like, I don't want to be in construction. Like there, there has to be something there to capture a kid's attention, right? There has to be something that uh, someone who's working for that construction company, like you had mentioned, that individual has to take the person down to the job site. They have to show them what the, the keys are to success and what you can make. Yes, it's going to take four or five years of hard work to get to this next step or this next step or this next step. But they need to, they need to be a little bit, you know, more um, intentional with, with how they do this, because if, if they don't and they don't show that individual the right path then they're not going to decide to do that. Uh, I, I think, again, it goes back to mentorship, I'll repeat it again, of sh sharing with that individual, that there is somebody who can help you through this process. If you come work for us, we can get you to that level. And guess what? You can make six figures after a certain amount of years. Yes, it's going to take you time. You got to get to earn your stripes, right? You're not going to just earn six figures by just coming into our company. You need to display the the work that you do and the hard work that you do, and and you just spend those first few years uh, being a sponge. Um, here's a perfect example. I have a extended family member who wants to be an electrician and he's kind of heard my content and he uh, is out in California, works for Trader Joe's and he's just in the corporate kind of world and he wants to make the jump to be an electrician. He's a little bit older, um, but I'm, I'm sort of helping him through sort of that transition by having him meet other people who have been there and done that because he was just going to go to school and he was just going to find his way but now he's being set up with people who are ceos of xyz company they can say well i've been doing this for 30 years i know the ins and outs i can have you talk to this person i can have you talk to this person first of all it's inspiring that he's making that shift but you know it's going back to the networking aspect that he could get that on his own it's 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 Yes, it, to some degree, it's what you know, but it's also who you know and the connections that you make that can get you to that next level. And I'm excited for him because he's excited about making that jump and making that leap, but he's going to be in a much better position because he's speaking to the right individuals to help him along his career path or his new career path. I, I think that there's such a higher ceiling too, right, in that because he could very easily quote easily own electrical business right with his business background those sort of stuff and with the right connections and you know i've become a huge uh, fan of cody sanchez i don't know if you've followed her much where she's the uh, boring business lady like she buys quote boring businesses which is like your neighborhood plumber it's the 
uh, laundry or the uh, dryer repairman, those sort of stuff. It's quote the boring businesses that are huge cash cows. Um, but that's where she gets into. But she's talking about the same thing where <clears throat> I'm going to butcher the numbers. So I'm not even going to say it, but there's a million businesses going out of business every year because the owner was 70 years old. His kids didn't want to take it over. The owner was 70 years old. He died. He, you know, between like retirements and deaths and these sort of stuff and just no one takes the business. So they just close it. And, but there's a, a lot of value there. So um, there's a lot of opportunities for people to come in and sort of quote, buy into these businesses and keep them going and keep them running. Um, so for like that, like you, you were talking about that young guy who's, you know, he's probably never going to be a grocery store owner, right? If he stayed in the Trader Joe's world, but if he gets into the um, electric, electrician's world, you know, there's the sky's the limit there. So yeah, he's young, smart and ambitious and, you know, wants to take over the world. So more power to him. Yeah. Supply well, and demand is the, I was gonna say supply and demand is the basic uh, economic principle, right? And so right now demands high low supply so what does that mean <laughs> salaries go up wages go up yeah i mean look that's, go up. that's a perfect example about you know being an electrician everything is being electrified right your car mm -hmm. you plug in your tesla everything and and it's more demand on the infrastructure I and mean, you just don't have enough people in the, in the electrical field to keep up with everything so it's a great opportunity to get into that field well, exactly. And I was I was going to go on the same lines here, guys, is that, you know, like I said earlier, there's just more and more opportunity. So if somebody wants to grow something, be successful, there's more opportunity. There's there's potential for higher rates. There's potential for, you know, bigger markups, higher margins, you know, things that can help grow a business. I mean, now is from, from what I'm experiencing and what I think is out there for most of the industry. It, it's a hell of a great time to be in construction. Yeah. I mean, I hear it all the time, just in my in my local neighborhood. Everyone's always asking, who do you use? Who, who do I get to, to do my my kitchen project? And all most of these guys are so busy that they don't have time. Like, it's not like the work's not there. They can pick and choose the jobs they want. And guess what? The people are going to pay it, too, because there really isn't that many people who can fix X, Y, Z. And everybody that's why the, the aspect of treating uh, uh, you know, especially if you have your own business, the customer service aspect and about treating your customers right to have that repeat because you have people behind the scenes talking about you who gives it mm -hmm. your name to somebody else. I, I see a ton of success around here with a, with a lot of, you know, these uh, smaller contractors. They have a ton of projects, a ton of projects. I was talking to my friend the other day who's got a small, like, specialties company. You know, they do toilet partitions and you know, building specialties like that. And they work um, just in, you know, one small, or I say one small town, they work in the DFW area. And they had a client ask them to go out of town for a project. And like, they're not really ready to expand out of town. And they said, just give us a number. They gave them some crazy high number, right? That put their people up at the, you know, the, the five-star, like, right? Just threw some number at them to make it worth their time. And like, as soon as they got the number, they said, all right, cool. When can you start? Like, <laughs> it was like, that. I was like, they're like, uh, now we got to figure out how to make this happen. But we, we didn't want the job. We gave them a number because we didn't want it. And like, there's yeah. such a such a demand out there, especially for good people too. Um, so Andrew, what else do you think like we can all do personally to help the industry, help the trades? Um, I know we've kind of talked about what companies can do and recruiting and you know, especially supporting people as they get into the, you know, through the apprenticeship program and mentorship and those sort of things. But do you have any advice on kind of like what individuals can do personally? 
I think it's just, look, it's all about awareness and it's all about, I, I said it before, but all about the messaging. And that's, that's why I show up every day and hopefully make an impact in the awareness. You know, you make your podcasts or other people's podcasts. We're all kind of doing stuff, not necessarily all sort of together. We're all doing our kind of our own thing, but we're all helping sort of the industry and we all feel it. And again, we just need to do a better job spreading the, the message about uh, the skill trades. And I always joke about this, that if we woke up tomorrow and all the skilled trades disappeared, we'd be in a, you know, in a really tight spot. Um, and we, the economy would implode. You know, you, you, nothing Overnight. would run. Like my car wouldn't get to work. I couldn't take the train, right? And it's funny, they always say that, uh, they always said that robots, robots were coming for blue collar jobs, but guess what? AI is coming for your white collar job. You know, it's, it's like this yeah. funny statement that uh, that I saw and, you know, chat GTP is not going to fix my uh, plumbing. It's just not going to happen. So we just need to, you know, keep committing to the cause and the mission and keep putting out that uh, information uh, mm -hmm. about the skill trades and the gap. And, you know, hopefully work with the administration. Hopefully maybe one day trade school becomes, you know, free one day. So people would just get in. Right. I don't know if that would ever happen, but magically, if that could happen, maybe you'd see more people come in um, into the trades than, than there once were. But I think people are starting to see um, the differences between going a college path versus a trades path. I think that the messaging is starting to make some sort of impact that people are, are, are stopping to say, like, look, you know, before I sign on that data line for college and going this, this, this route, mm -hmm. that let me take a look at the trades aspect. And my goal is if I can change one person's mind, that's a win for me. That's all I need is that that one individual that saw the content and just got yeah. interested in possibly looking into a trade and then decided to go into it. That's a win-win for me. That's a lot of what we do. I mean, I don't know. When we first started this, it was kind of the same thing. It's like, if we just help one or two people, like all the time and effort's worth it, just to kind of help those people that kind of where we were back in, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So, yeah. Andrew, are you seeing anything that's um, maybe, maybe more industry or, or even sector related as far as the, where the shortages? It, you know, are you seeing any trends or any, any data that might support, you know, Maybe it's more residential and construction, or maybe it's commercial, or you know, it could be in different sectors of industrial, or you know, just curious if you come across anything that it's kind of like maybe there's a certain industry that's a bigger opportunity for people than another, or even geography. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, I think it's location to where where you're located. Um, you know, HVAC, you know, is huge. Um, obviously, the electrical trade. You know, obviously, a lot of the trades, um, you know, the, the welding trade uh, needs a tremendous amount of people. I, mean, I work with the American Welding Society, AWS, and they are they are hurting for people. I mean, they need people uh, in the welding trade. I think the average age is like 48, 50. And wow. it's just not enough people coming into that into that trade. And. I constantly look, there is a, a website they have and it shows all the data of how many people they need. I think it's like 350, 350 
thousand or four hundred welders by two thousand twenty-seven, and I'm just like running those numbers in my head. Well, how many people are coming out of school, and it's like doesn't correlate. And everyone yeah. says, well, we got to automation will do this. Automation will take this over. It's not. It's not going to work. It'll help. Not, automation will help a little bit, but especially in it, the construction certain, industry, like yeah. Um, but yes, each and every sector uh, is 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 hurting. Is hurting for for individuals. I don't know uh, specifically. Again, maybe HVAC or electrical are doing better than plumbing and and welding. Um, I'd have to really look at the statistics behind that. But I just know overall, as you guys know, you know everybody is looking for somebody, um, and they're doing whatever it takes to get that person in. Whether it's raise wages, give more perks. You know more time off whatever it takes to get that individual i mean look projects and especially in my business people's projects get delayed you can't get the person in to do xyz then the project gets delayed on top of the product being delayed on the supply chain but that's a different story but it just compounds across the board and delays will happen and innovation will stop not stop but it will slow down because you don't have the people to do the work and that's why we need to do a better job yeah. Well, and, and Andrew, you're, you're, you're totally right. And some of the discussions that I've been having this week and even um, upcoming weeks too, or some, some other other meetings is that um, some, of, some of my customers are having issue um, getting enough bidders for their projects. And I think a lot of it comes down to people are busy. Uh, the industry is very busy and the contractors that are, that, you know, that are worth, worth working with, um, they're, they're either too busy to even accept a new job or they're being very choosy and very picky about the jobs they want. And so, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some issues where we're having trouble finding good qualified bidders to do these projects. And it's just, there's so much opportunity, but man, is it, is it creating issues? Because it, you know, down the road, you start executing projects with contractors that, you know, maybe they're not your, your first or even your second or third choice. They're having quality issues now, um, start having other, other project, you know, just typical project management, construction management issues. And it's just, there's, we, there needs to be a change It needs to happen so quickly and needs to be massive in scale for this to actually turn around. That's a good point too, especially for all the kind of the owner's reps, construction managers out there too. When you're going out to bid your owner's projects, keep that sort of stuff in mind. If you're making it hard to bid on, you're making it, you know, you know, you got to come walk the job four or five times. The estimators don't have time for that. They're all busy. They're going to pass on your project and then your owner's going to get two bids instead of 10 bids, right? I don't know if you might get yeah. 10 bids on anything anymore, just because the way it is, but you know, you're going to get down and you're going to have, you know, the C team versus the D team. Who do you pick? Like your A's and B's teams are not going to bother with you. Um, we saw that on a project I'm working on where we're an hour out of Houston and um, we're bidding out the trade, the trades, the, the subcontractor scopes, you know, it was, people didn't want to travel. We didn't get the turnout we were hoping for because people can stay in Houston and not have to do the drive. And so then we got the markup too, right? If you want us to come down there, you're going to have to pay us the premium to come down there. And so it's um, those are just things to keep in mind too, as a construction manager, whenever you're, you know, planning your work, that it all plays in. Um, you know, one of the projects we could have had probably 200, you know, uh, crew guys on the site, and we were at 100. And so of course, you cut your crew in half. You know, it's gonna your duration is gonna drag out. You know, in theory, twice as long. So it's just all things to keep in mind. Yep. And the project gets more expensive. It takes longer. Maybe the quality is just not there. And it's just, it's a vicious cycle. 
It is. Yeah. So, well, Andrew, um, we'll wrap up here. If there's if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? So I'm very active on LinkedIn under Andrew Brown. I usually put out a video a day, so I'm always there. If you want to talk about the skill trades, DM me, or if you just want to talk about tools and equipment, I always love talking shop. Uh, on YouTube, it's under Toolfetch, uh, our company name, and under TikTok, it's under my name, under Andrew Brown. Um, but I'm always here. Reach out to me. Appreciate it, man. And I'll say if you guys aren't following him on LinkedIn, go follow him. His videos are they're awesome. They're uh, well-produced. They're good stuff. So, Thank you, Matt. Well, I appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt.